Amen. Good evening. What a beautiful crowd tonight. And uh, I just, I, I really feel like the anointing in Durban and South Africa is growing every time that I come here. You can feel it. And I mostly felt it when I went to the game park yesterday. Because what normally took me two days to see, I saw in one day. So that's just wonderful. That's just great. Uh, if you could see twice as much game and only have to wake up once that early, that's a miracle for sure. Because I don't know how you South Africans do it. You must like it really early in the morning. But uh, lots of coffee, lots of grace, and uh, lots of cheetah. So man, we, had, we had a beautiful time. I want to thank uh, for George and other leaders in the churches uh, for having me again. And for um, I think this is our third time here in, in Durban. And uh, it's so great because each time you get to come back. And uh, one thing I love, you know, I, I love all the, the gifts of the Spirit. But I have a favorite. It's God's favorite gift of the Spirit. He says he eagerly desires spiritual gifts, especially, especially prophecy. So it must be God's favorite. So it's always nice to have the, the gift that God says is his favorite. Isn't that great? If, you want, if you're going to have a car, you might as well have God's favorite car. If you're going to eat uh, you know, a meal, it must be God's favorite meal. I'm not sure what his favorite meal is, but probably lamb. I don't know. So, but, so it's, um, and I think, I think South Africa and especially this city must be one of his favorite places to be, I'm sure, right? Amen? So it's great to be back, but you know, I get to come back to places where I've been before. And uh, what I love about prophetic ministry, my friends, that they only, they, they do healing, and I do, I do, do healing ministry. I believe that we're all called to heal. We all are called to hear God's voice. But, you know, my assignment and my gift is to help people to learn to hear God. My, my passion is to be in conversation with God all the time, because I believe prophecy is not just a gift. It's, it's a relationship we have. It's a privilege we have to get to talk to God constantly. Uh, I like to talk to Him when I'm getting on airplanes, and sometimes I find those conversations coming from in my head to outside of my mouth, that's when I have to fake like I have Bluetooth. And so sometimes I see people giving me funny looks and I realize I'm talking to God too loud. So it's, it's better to have a still small voice when you're in public talking to the Lord. But I, um, I, I, say, to, I say to my friends, you know, you love to just do healing ministry because it's, it's just like delivering a baby. You know, you just, the baby comes out, you get to give it a name and then you go on and deliver another baby, you know. But prophetic ministry is more like raising teenagers, if you think about it, it's exactly like raising teenagers because you give them all the wisdom and revelation that you have. And they look at you like you're an idiot. <laughs> and they do nothing you tell them to do. <laughs> and then two years later, you come back and they say, you're a genius. Everything you said was correct. So, so that's kind of how it is. You, you, you're you're re- not really smart until you get to come back and see that God fulfills his word. And isn't it good? You're never stupid to believe what God says. It's, you're never an idiot to, to act on the Word of God. And some people think you are when you believe what God says. And you, you, God says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. I'll open up a window of blessing that you cannot contain. Some people will say, that's stupid. The economy's not good. Why would you give money to the Lord? But that's the smartest thing you can do because he said, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. It, some people say, well, it's crazy to believe that you could lay hands on the sick when, when you have problems in your own body. But his word says, these signs will follow those who believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So I love 
people who believe what God says, and God is pleased by that. Doesn't the Bible say that? How do you, how, what pleases the Lord? Faith pleases the Lord. And he, he loves when we act in faith. It doesn't say the results of faith. It's, it's what pleases the Lord is when we believe what he said. And it's, that's a quote from Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, having not received the promise, so that those who remain would receive something better. But it's in, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those who believe him must, must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the definition of faith is believing what God says, even when it looks like you're crazy. And the world says that believing what God says or believing the truth or doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, that's a definition of what? Insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get a different result, that's, that's a definition of insanity. It's, it's taught around the world. It's, it's a business principle. You have to change something. But it's also the definition of faith. Praying the same thing and believing something's going to change. Saying the same thing and believe something's going to shift. Believing what God says even when it's not happening. That's the definition of faith. And I want to have that kind of crazy faith. That I keep praying when it's not happening and I keep praying until it happens. And I believe that's the kind of faith that God rewards and that's the kind of faith that He loves. And so uh, we're going to have a great time this, this uh, next few days. It's just an honor and a privilege to be back with you. And I, I feel like there's something... Literally, that shifted in the atmosphere. There's like a wind. It's felt during the spirit, uh, during the worship. There's a, a wind of the spirit blowing across this region that's blowing the churches together. There's going to be a great move of unity across this region like you've never had before. And I feel like there's been, uh, you know, there's over the last five years, there's been a shifting and a transition of, of different leaders in the churches and the body of Christ. And it's not a changing of the guard. I said, Lord, is that a changing of the guard? He says, it's not a changing of the guard. It's an increasing of the glory. And so, see, the, the language of succession that the world has is let's get out, go out with the old and in with the new. But I believe the language of the Spirit is the language of synergy, not succession. Not out with the old, in with the new, but let's build upon from glory to glory to glory. And God's not getting rid of the old church and replacing it with a new church. He's bringing one church together, a church without spot, without wrinkle, a church of... Of, of, of young and old, a church of, of black, brown, white, a church that it comes together under one banner and under one name. And when that happens, it gives God permission to bring his kingdom. Because when, whenever we live together, when we dwell together in one accord, that's where the anointing oil falls from heaven. And I believe that's, this is going to be a, a city where that happens, but this is going to be an example of that. So I'm excited about what God's going to do this weekend. I have some resources I, I'd love to give. Everything that I have, I bring to, to kind of equip. And for the last uh, 15 years, I've had the great privilege of traveling around different places, equipping people how to hear God's voice. Last week, I was in, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, I was doing a conference on how to hear God's voice and equipping people. And there were people who the first time uh, learned to hear God's voice and went out to, for dinner just during a conference and got a chance to pray with someone. There was a family who had a, a seven-year-old boy who the Lord spoke to him while they are having dinner that the person at the table next to them had a problem in their shoulder. So the father went over with them and, 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 and empowered him, encouraged him to speak to the people there. And father and son together got to pray for someone in a restaurant and see God heal a, 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 hurt, a hurt shoulder. Isn't that great? And that's the power of passing on from generation to generation what God has given us. 
because we won't have to go from revival to diminish to revival, but we go from glory to glory to glory. And I love the word revival in the church. I grew up in the church, and so we've always talked about revival. And revival was a, you know, a, a three-day event once or twice a year where we came together for three nights and, and we had a revival. But I believe this isn't a revival. This is just, these are meetings that we're going from glory to glory to glory to glory. Because you, you don't seem like you need revival. You just seem like you have enough fire on you. All I need to do is give you a little bit more fuel to keep burning. So you're going to keep burning. Um, the schools that I have of, of the prophetic that are back there, I have two schools of the prophetic. This is uh, pro- prophetic school number one. And uh, I know Randy Clark's been around here quite a bit, right? Anyone ever been to a Randy Clark meeting? Uh, just, a, just a great friend of ours. I've been teaching at his school for the last seven years. Um, how to hear God's voice and then take that out in your, in your everyday life. So this is prophetic school number one. It's four CDs. And it talks about different ways that God speaks, different modes of communication, how to remove hindrances from hearing God, what makes it hard to hear God, and how to get that stuff out of the way. Because sometimes it is hard to hear people if you're speaking different languages. You know, I, uh, I married a, a, a beautiful young lady, and I, I realized that her family spoke a different language from me. Uh, she was from the same culture, but spoke a different language. And what I found out, the word fine uh, in her family was not a good word to use. <laughs> Particularly when she got dressed up to go out on a, on a date, you know. And she asked me how she looked. I couldn't say the word fine because in her culture, you know, fine was like barely acceptable. <laughs> That's fine. It'll do. That doesn't work. What I realized when I say the word fine, that it's another 30 minutes until we find the right outfit. <laughs> until I learn to say the word fine correctly, which the way you say the word fine correctly in my wife's family is you, you lean in a little bit and... You squish your eyes a little bit. You say, that's fine. <laughs> you, have to, you have to just let the word roll out like that. That's fine. And then it's fine. <laughs> However, sometimes we hear God and we hear him through the filters of our experience or our hurt or our pain. And we can remove those filters so we can hear God un- unfiltered. You know, when God speaks to us for other people out there, he's not looking to identify their problem. He's looking to release the potential inside of them. And so that's hearing God. So that's our, our prophetic school number one. And I have um, a whole library of uh, teachings of what you do with your prophecies and things like that. Is there anyone here you felt like, I, I've never heard God speak to me. He does, I just don't, I don't hear God very well. I need help hearing God. Anyone I could give this to you that, that you want to learn to hear God better? Okay. Can I give this to you, ma'am? Yeah. Uh, George, could you please help me with this nice lady here in the blue? Uh, I wrote a book this past year. It's, it's called Think Like Heaven. It's sort of the, the theme of... What we're going to talk about this week, although who knows what we'll talk about. We'll talk about a bunch of things. But um, since my passion is hearing God's voice, um, there's a scripture in the Bible, Jesus, who's called the word of God, by the way. He said, out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So that means that before you ever say anything, you think about it first. If you think it long enough, you'll say it. Say it long enough, you'll probably do it and do something long enough. You kind of become it, which could be a bad thing or a good thing, right? You think the word long enough, you'll, you'll speak the word. If you speak the word long enough, you'll act on it. If you act on it long enough, it'll just become a lifestyle to you. Well, if that applies to us, that applies to God. And so just in my quiet time with God one day, I, that thought came to my mind because I'm a student of how God speaks. What was God, speak, what was God thinking when he created the world? Because we know he created the world with his words. 
So if we could know what God was thinking, what was in the heart of God, out of abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. When he said, let there be light, what was in his heart? If we knew that, we could understand what's the seed of God's creativity. What is it that unlocked God's creative power to create the world? And if I could start to think like that, I could think more creatively. I could have thoughts I've never had before. I could hear what God wanted to do in the earth and speak it. So I began to ask the Lord, show me what you were thinking. And he said, I've already revealed that. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that you were chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So what was God thinking about before he said, let there be light? He was thinking about you, how amazing you are, how holy you are, how blameless you are. And when he looks at you, he wants to just talk about you. So everything God created, he created with you and I in mind. And I don't know about you, but that means I should really never have a bad day again. I, I just, I shouldn't think bad about myself. I shouldn't think I'm, I'm just this lowly worm because I'm a child of God and God's never seen me as anything other than that. And the day that I, the day that I came to him and realized who he made me through Christ, I became empowered to become that. And so this is a, all about learning to think the way that God thinks. And, um, and when we do, it unleashes the creative power of God. It's really, it's really a book about creative thinking. And, uh, and I believe that God is bringing solutions to the most difficult problems on earth. You know, the, do you know that the solution to the economic problem in the world or to the rand or whatever the problem is in, in the world is, is actually a thought from God? One thought from God can change the world. Do you guys know these little uh, pieces of yellow paper with sticky stuff on them called post-it notes? They were invented in church by a man who, while the pastor was preaching, was daydreaming. <laughs> By the way, there's a study that, that's been done that said that 50% of your waking hours are spent daydreaming. I think for me, it's probably 75%, but we'll <laughs> hook electrodes to my brain. Who knows what you find, right? So I believe that when God's speaking, when, when sometimes when we're uh, daydreaming, we're actually having thoughts from God. In fact, if that's true, 50% of the time that I'm talking to you tonight, you're checked out, you're somewhere else, which... Some of you, your wives will bring you back when you, honey, wake up. It's getting a little warm in here. I believe that, that God can give us one thought that can change the world. And so if someone uh, happens to get an invention like post-it notes tonight, which were a billion-dollar idea, if you happen to get that during my sermon, just remember <laughs> the churches and the pastors here and our ministries are doing the work of the kingdom. <laughs> All right. Uh, is there anyone here who started a new business this year? All right, can I give this to you? Uh, you're going to get some ideas from God for your business this year, all right? Because God's the greatest entrepreneur. Amen? All right. There's a few other things back there as well. Uh, we have some music to create an atmosphere of peace, some music for children. My wife made this for children to, to have rest and sleep and have no night terrors, night, no nightmares. We get testimonies all the time. It's called Heaven Made You, having the thoughts of heaven uh, for your children Anyone have a child that's having a little trouble sleeping? Yes. Yeah, she's like, please, I need some sleep. You're going to sleep good tonight. It's for moms having trouble sleeping. So there you go. Well, her hand up went really quick. That was good. All right. If you have your Bible, start with me to Matthew chapter 16.
I just want to talk to you tonight, just for, for the next few minutes, and now I want to release some things. I have some uh, words for some individuals, and um, I know there's a lot of, the best stuff is the stuff I don't know that's going to go on, because the Lord always keeps you, uh, keeps a few secrets from you. So I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about how we walk in our, uh, our heavenly identity, because uh, a lot of people, when it comes to prophetic ministry, they they want to know, well, what does God want to say to me, or what does God want me to do? And I, I have questions. A lot of times people will come to me, and uh, they'll ask me, can you tell me God's plan, my, God's future for my life? And I think it's natural. All of us have an inner desire to know why we're here. What it, whatever, whatever language you use, even unbelievers understand it. What's my bigger purpose in life? What, why am I here? Why do I exist? Why am I you know, taking up space and breathing air. And there's something that's hardwired inside of us. So we want to have life purpose. And the, the way you're going to find life purpose is by not just finding what you're called to do, but finding who you are. Because you can find your, your destiny, but if you don't know your identity, you get lost along the way. Just like a GPS needs to know, needs to pinpoint your location in order to get you to a destination. If that GPS can't find out your location where you are, it can't get you where you're going. It's the same way in the spirit is that you, in order to get to your destination, you have to know your location. You have to know your identity. You have to know who you are. And even Jesus had to struggle with this in his life. And many times he was tested by other people who they, who they thought he was. He was... He was born into a family where his mother wasn't married when she became pregnant. And so some people pegged him as an illegitimate child. He was born into a neighborhood or a, a, a community, a township, if you will, that people said nothing good comes from that township. Nothing good can come from that community. Nothing good comes from that, that city, Nazareth. He was around people who thought he was just a little bit different. His brothers were a little bit, uh, thought he was a little bit strange. At one point, they thought he was a little crazy. His mom w- just wanted him to be her son, but she had to deal with the fact that he's, he's the, the, the Messiah, the Son of God as well. And Jesus even had disciples who really didn't know who he, who he was. They followed him, they believed him, they saw the miracles that he did. And even the, the religious people of the day struggled with who he was. Some wanted to kill him because they thought he was just a zealot trying to stir up problems with Rome. Others thought he came from God, but they couldn't really peg him. Really smart guy, Nicodemus, who, who really wanted to know the truth, so had a conversation with Jesus in John 3, where he said, we know that you've come from God because of the miracles that you do, but he still couldn't figure out who he was. And Jesus had to navigate this, this environment of uncertainty. He had to navigate this, this, um, this culture that surrounded him that didn't know who he was. They expected the Messiah to come as a, as a king born in a palace. They expected him to ride in as a, as a knight on a horse with an army and save them from Rome. They didn't expect him to show up as a baby in a manger. They didn't expect him to be around animals. They didn't expect him to be raised in a common household. So they had one idea who Jesus was. And I believe that Jesus, God did this so that we can have an example of how we can live. He didn't just come to show us what the Messiah 
would look like, but he showed us what God could do with flesh and blood, how a spirit could dwell inside of a person, how they could come up from a lowly beginning, how they could come up from a place where everything was against them and the spirit of God could rise up inside of them, how the cultural environment, the political environment, the spiritual environment, everything around them was against what they were going to do, but they could change the world. And I believe that all it takes is one person who believes what God says about them, who no matter what the culture around them, no matter what the circumstances around them look like, will believe what God says. And Jesus shows us how to do it. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, I want to share this with you for a little bit. And I believe it's going to bring us to a place where we'll be able to shut off uh, the, the identity thoughts that are not from heaven. And we'll begin to think what heaven thinks about us. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father, which is in heaven. Several months ago, I was in, um, in the state of Pennsylvania, near the Philadelphia area where I grew up. I was doing a conference there. It was, uh, I think it was a Friday night. We had a great worship time. We had a great uh, response to the word. We had people pray for one another. We had several people healed and uh, it was at the point of the meeting where there was like a corporate response, and I felt like there was a specific thing uh, that God wanted to point out corporately, and that there were some people there that he wanted to just bring freedom to. And, and I asked for those people to come in that atmosphere of worship at the end of the service, come to the front, and we're just going to pray that God would do something corporately. I was, wasn't planning on praying for anybody personally at that point. We had done that earlier. wasn't planning on having words of knowledge for healing. We had done that earlier. I wasn't planning on preaching any, any more sermons. Just going to be in the atmosphere of God and let God touch people. And something happened. There was, as we were worshiping, I was on the stage. There was a young lady in front of me. There was a bunch of people in front of me. But there was this young lady who happened to be standing under one of the spotlights. And it was one of those conferences where they give you name tags. So I didn't need to have, you know, the word of knowledge, name gift. Fortunately, it helps you out a lot with there's name tags. I think there's someone here. <laughs> So, and her name tag was simple to read because it was in big letters. It was a short name. It was the word named Joy. And so I looked at her and I said, I see Joy. I see you standing there. She had her hands raised to the Lord. I said, just open your eyes. The Lord just wants to tell you this. And the, what I felt the Lord say to me, I, I struggled with it a little bit because it, was, it seemed a little cliche. It was a play on her name. And I said, Joy, God's going to give you back the joy of singing back in your life. And when I said that, she fell to her knees and she just began to weep. And I began to speak to her and joy that God's going to heal things that, that happen in your body when you're 12 years old. And I see him touching the, the joints of your body and taking the pain out of your body. I, I see him reaching down into your digestive system. And, and as I'm seeing it, as I'm saying it, it's just gradually coming. I see him reaching into your digestive system and food allergies are, are coming out and, and things that, that cause you to have digestive problems are being healed. And Joy, I see God reaching down into your internal organs. There's something in your feminine system. I see him taking out endometriosis. And you've been told you can't have children, but you're going to have two children. And I, I, I said all this, and of course, this is a mouthful to say. And in and, and, and healing ministry, we like to test it. Like, is your shoulder healed? You know, moves your shoulder. But how do you test, you know, 
certain things. Like here, eat a, eat a hot pepper. See if your digestive system is healed. You know, there's a few things you can't test publicly. So uh, we just went on. And it wasn't the point to, to prove if I was right or wrong. It just was the point in the presence of God. We just prayed and, and did that corporate prayer. And people prayed. And I, I literally kind of forgot about that moment. It was just about a 10-second, maybe 30-second moment. Maybe it was a couple minutes I spoke to her. And uh, the following night, last night of the conference, Saturday night, I'm leaving the conference. It was late at night after we prayed for people. And uh, I was walking through, the, my daughter was with me. We were walking through this, the dark parking lot of the church. It was a big parking lot, and I heard footsteps behind me. So I don't know what you do in Durban when you hear footsteps <laughs> behind you in the dark parking lot. But you, if you're at church, you get ready to either hug someone or, you know, pepper spray or hug them or punch them, whatever you need to do. It's just, Fight or flight or love, one or the other. I wasn't sure. I, I have my daughter with me, so I'm ready to protect her. And I hear this person run behind me, and I, and I hear him call my name. And it's a young man, his early 20s, maybe mid-20s. He has, a, he has a piece of yellow paper with him. He said, you don't know who I am, but I'm Joy's fiancé. And she wrote out her testimony. She's pretty shy. She didn't want to come up to you. But um, for a while, I carried this yellow piece of paper around me in my bag all the time. And that's home on my desk because it's kind of getting worn down from traveling around with me for the last several months. But here's what it said. When I was 12 years old, my, uh, my family broke apart. My parents' marriage ended. And as a result of that, my mom, she was looking for friendship and relationship. And she took me to bars to sing karaoke songs. And I would sing and it would attract attention of men to her. And, you know, she looked for companionship and she said, for a year we did this and it just, it, it put me in a bad place. I hated singing. I didn't want to sing because of all the things that were attached to it. And she said, I've had so many problems physically. I've had a couple surgeries on my knee and it just recurring pain. I have celiac disease, which is a problem with your digestive system. And she said, I, I was three years ago diagnosed with endometriosis. The doctor said without surgery, I'll never have children. And she said, um, when, you, when you said to me these words, Joy, God's restoring to you the joy of singing. She said, in that moment, the pain left my, my knee, completely healed, completely healed in that moment. Before you even said, God's healing your knee, my knee was healed. She said, immediately, that, she said, that night I almost left the meeting because my stomach was in such bad, having such bad problems. I went out to eat, and I think the, the waiter gave me something I shouldn't have or didn't tell me what was in, the, in what I ate. She said, but I, my stomach was in such bad pain. As soon as you said, joy, God, God's giving you the joy of singing back, she said, the pain in my stomach went away. My stomach was completely healed. And, and after 24 hours, I'm completely fine. I, I, I can eat anything, and I don't have it. Uh, that that, that uh, allergy is not there. Isn't that amazing? She said that she had been diagnosed with endometriosis, told she, unless she had surgery, she wouldn't have children. And she said the symptoms that were, were extremely severe. In fact, at that conference, she was... I had met a couple of ladies in the bathroom that were praying for her for this issue because she was in such severe pain. She said, the moment you said God's giving you back the joy of singing, that was completely removed from my body. I haven't had any of those symptoms any longer. And God completely touched her body. Isn't that incredible? And that's amazing. What's amazing to me as a student of God's word, I love miracles, but I love how they work. And the fact that I thought, man, those were some pretty cool words of knowledge. They weren't words of knowledge at all. They were actually just telling what already happened. It wasn't a word of knowledge. It was, it was actually just God had already spoken a word over her. And what did he speak to her? He spoke to her a word of identity. 
which aligned her past, her present, her future, aligned what God was, was going to do in her life in the future because he fixed what was wrong in the past of who she thought about herself. God's going to restore to you back the joy of singing. He's going to fix the part where your family was broken. He's going to fix the things that came into your life at that time. And sometimes circumstances of our life, maybe the way our family upbringing was, or maybe what happened to us has kind of gotten in there and, and gotten, off, gotten us off the track, allowed us to identify ourselves by the past. But Jesus gives us this incredible story of his conversation with the Lord. And in fact, usually when Jesus wanted to talk to his disciples and teach them something, he wouldn't tell them something. He would ask them a question. And so he asked them a question. And, and here's the question he asked, who do people say the son of man is? Basically, he's saying, hey, when we're walking down the street, what are people talking? Who are people saying about me? What are, what are people posting on Facebook about me? What are people tweeting about the son of God? Who do people say the son of God is? Why is Jesus asking this question? Is he worried about his social media standing? Is he, is he worried about his Google search status? Is he worried about what people think about him? Jesus isn't insecure. He's saying, who do people say that I am? He's asking them a question for a reason. He's either asking them this because he wants assurance of who he is. But we know that can't be true because he's Jesus. He doesn't have an identity crisis. He has a Christ identity. <laughs> Some of you Christians need to go get over your identity crisis and get yourself a Christ identity. <laughs> because there's a generation that the devil wants to give an identity crisis. See, my generation growing up, the battle in culture was over the value of life. But in this generation, it's over the value of, a, of, a person, of the person's identity. That's why we have issues in our social culture that have to do with marriage equality and sexual equality and gender equality and those kind of things because God created, it's the first thing that God did when he put the image and likeness of God a man. Male, female created he them. And, and we've been hearing what for the last 10, 15 years? Identity, 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 identity. Why? Because God is releasing to a generation their identity so they can get to their destiny. And we're going to have a generation. My kid's generation is not going to struggle with their identity. We're going to have a generation who knows who they are. They know their sexual identity. They know their gender identity. They know their marriage identity. They know their Christ identity. And they're not going to have an identity crisis because they're going to have a Christ identity. And God, Jesus didn't have an identity crisis. He knew who he was. He wasn't asking them a question because he didn't know who he was. So you say, well, maybe he was asking them a question to see if they knew who he was. Like, make, do you understand who I am? And that's, that's, not, that's not the case because the question is, who do other people say that I am? So was he wondering, well, maybe people are saying bad stuff about me and these guys need to go and fix the record. Well, because of his answer, we know it's not true. Listen to the answer. So they said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're Jeremiah the prophet. Now, look at all the things they could have said. They could have said, some people are saying you're illegitimate. Some people are saying you're from Nazareth. Some people are saying that, you know, you're just a little touched in the head. You're a little crazy. But what they're telling Jesus is, people can't figure you out. They know you're miraculous, but they don't get you. They think you're Elijah the prophet, which would be miraculous, absolutely. They think you're Jeremiah the prophet. That would be incredible, an Old Testament prophet come back from in the flesh. What the most astounding one would be, some people are saying, I don't know who these people were. If I were Jesus, I'd be saying, some people say I'm John the Baptist. Now, let's just let's unpack that for a second, okay? John the Baptist, we know Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. We know that their moms were pregnant just about the same time. We know they walked the earth together. 
We know John baptized Jesus. We know he just got his head chopped off a few months before. So basically, you're saying I'm, your, I'm my cousin who baptized me and who died headless. Come back in the flesh. Now that would be a miracle. That actually might take more faith to believe that, that I actually am the son of God. Like it may, might, and, and by the way, this didn't bother Jesus that much because it would have bothered me not just that they thought I was John the Baptist come back in the flesh, but if you're going to confuse me with one of my family members, not John who smells like camel. <laughs> you know, he's the cousin you don't want to be like. He's the cousin, you know, when they come over for a holiday dinner and everybody's saying, you think John's coming? I'm not sure. I don't smell camel yet. You know what I mean? What's he going to bring for dinner? Well, probably the same thing he always brings, locusts and honey dip, you know. So Jesus, he doesn't get offended by it. In fact, what's his reaction when they say, some people say you're John the Baptist. Check it out. Verse number 15. Jesus' very next sta- statement or question, he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Which means when people said crazy thing about, things about Jesus, Jesus didn't respond. He didn't say, well, why would they say that about me? Of course I'm not John. In fact, he just ignores the answer to the first question he asks, which tells me he's not trying to get an answer from them. He's trying to teach them how to ask questions. See, most of the time we ask God a question. He doesn't, I don't know if you experience this, he doesn't give us the answer we want. Sometimes he keeps us asking questions until we finally get to the question he wants us to ask. And many times the first reaction we have when God speaks to us is, at least me, the first reaction I have when God says something to me is, what? Because God's not just trying to tell me something. He's trying to talk to me. Right? He doesn't want to have a monologue with me. He wants to have a dialogue with me. So, so what he does is he gets me into these conversations where what he's appearing to ask me at first isn't really the real question. He's just trying to teach me something. And he's saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to be affected by what other people say about me? Who do you say that I am? What do you do? And you know what? Sometimes when people say things about you on Facebook or social media or you search yourself. By the way, don't Google yourself. That's just not a good thing <laughs> to do. But when, you, when people say things about you, you go to that church or you work that job or you're from that family or you're from that culture. You don't have to respond to what other people say. When people say crazy things about you, it doesn't make you crazy. You just have to believe what God says about you. And so Jesus didn't respond. In fact, he responds with another question. He says, who do you say that I am? Now, I I picture this sort of as a classroom setting. Jesus is a teacher. He's got his disciples. And so if we were doing it in, in the Western education culture, everybody would be sitting at desks with their hands on their, you know, desk, and they have to raise their hand when the teacher answers a question or asks a question. And, and usually the, the kids sitting in the back, they know the answers, but they don't, they don't want to be the first one to, to answer the question. So it's the one that's sitting in the front who's got his hand up before the question's even asked because he, he knows the answer already. And, and that guy we know is Peter. He's the one sitting in the front trying to get Jesus' attention. Ooh, ooh, I have the answer. Pick me, pick me. James and John are in the back. They're called the Sons of Thunder, so they're shooting spitballs at people and, you know, probably fire, fiery spitballs calling down fire in their, on people's heads. Thomas is saying, I doubt anybody knows the answer to this question. <laughs> Judas is stealing lunches from people and selling them to other people to give the money to the poor. 
<laughs> and Jesus said, well, who do you say the Son of God is? And nobody has a real good answer. And then finally, Peter puts his hand up, pick me. Jesus says, all right, Peter, what are you thinking? I know you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus' answer is just, it's priceless here. It really is priceless. Sometimes when we view Jesus, we sort of see him as sort of this, you know, very calm and sanctified guy. He always says things very nice, you know. Even when he says tough things, he's saying them with a smile on his face. And this, this is one of those ones where he, he, his response is sort of a mixed bag. It says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. Now, I don't know if, have you ever met anyone from the, the south of the United States? You know, they, they have a saying, bless your little heart. Have you ever met anyone from Texas? Bless your little heart, which translated in the original language means, you're really, really dumb. <laughs> like the people from the south of the United States have a way of saying things with a smile. You know, they have a drink that they drink. Have you ever had sweet tea? If you've ever had, if you ever go to the, to the U.S. and you, you drink tea, cold tea, iced tea, they drink it really sweet. And it's not called iced tea. It's called sweet tea because it doesn't matter if it's cold. You all, your teeth chatter not because of the cold, because of the sugar in the tea, okay? In the north, we just drink tea like dark and black and bitter because that's how the people are, you know? <laughs> people in the south are sweet. <laughs> well, Jesus is, is kind of like this. He's saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. Basically, he's saying, good job, Peter, but you didn't get the answer. Bless your little heart. You're too stupid to have figured this one out on your own, Peter. You need a little help from the Father. You got the answer right. And so Peter got the right answer. But what Jesus is basically saying here, Peter, what's important isn't that you got the answer right. See, religion wants you to get the answer right. Relationship wants you to go to the Father for the answer. See, it's better to go to the Father for an answer and come back not really sure if you got it from the Father or not. But I went to the Father than say, I got the right answer. I got it right all the time. Because religion wants you to get it right, and God wants you to just be in relationship with the Father. And Jesus was teaching them, these people are trying to figure me out. They're trying to get in my head. They're trying to understand. And because of that, they can't even understand themselves. But when you go to the Father, you get a revelation of the Father, who I am. What does Jesus, Jesus say now? And I tell you, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but this was revealed to you by my, by my Father. And I tell you that you are no longer Simon, you are Peter. So now he gives them a promotion in his name. You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a pretty good answer. Like if you're going to raise your hand and take a a risk in in school, this is a good answer. Because he doesn't just say, you got the right answer. He says, that's the right answer, and you got it actually from reading the end of the book, and you cheated. But anyway, I'm going to give you an A-plus on the exam, and then I'm going to promote you to the next grade. And then, by the way, I'm going to pay your whole college tuition. That's pretty good for cheating on the test. (laughs) That's exactly what relationship with God is. He does all the work. We get all the credit. He goes to the cross, says, it's finished. He takes the stripes on his back. We get to pray for the sick. He gets the keys to hell, death, and grave. We get to set people free from demons. This is the best job in the world. This is the best faith in the world. Why would we be afraid of our faith? Why would we be ashamed of the gospel? This is a faith like no other faith on the earth. 
Christianity is the greatest faith that's ever existed because it's not a faith where you have to work to please God. All you do have to believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when that happens, he gives you a new name and he goes from Simon, which sounds like the kid who likes to sit in the front. You know, the Simon's the guy I want on my study team. He's got the thick glasses. He's got the pencil protector. He's got the notebooks in the backpack. I want Simon on my team. I want him to study with me. But now he's become Peter or in the Greek, it's a great word, Petros, which to me sounds more like a, like an MMA, you know, <laughs> fighter. My name is Petros. I kill you. So now Peter, you know, he just gets a shot of testosterone. I'm Petros now. See my muscles. And so Jesus says, because of this, Peter, I'll build my rock. On, on this rock, I'll build my church. And historically, I grew up in the church. Some people believe Peter became the first leader of the church here. He's the first pope. He's the first leader of the church. I don't have a problem with that teaching. I believe Peter became a leader of the church here. Some other people respond to that teaching and said, no, they're not talking about Peter being a leader. Talking about the church being built on the revelation of who Jesus is. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Build the church on that. It can't be shaken. I have no problem with that teaching. That's a great teaching. But what I really believe, one of the things that we could miss here if we're not careful, is that Jesus is saying, when you go to the Father. See, when you listen to what other people say about you, that's a shaky foundation to build your life on. When you listen to what Google says about you, that's a shaky foundation to build your life on. Because some days a search engine is going to come back with five stars. Some days it's going to come back with negative. Some days you're going to feel good about yourself. Some days you're not going to feel so good. But you know the Father every single day feels good about you. And if you build your life on the, what you get from the Father, that's a foundation that I can build my church on. And he said, and by the way, the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. When you get a revelation, when you hear directly from God about your marriage, the gates of hell may try to come against your marriage, but they cannot overcome your marriage. When you get an understanding directly from the Father of how he wants to use you to heal the sick and how he took the keys of hell, death, and the grave, he crushed sickness, the gates of hell might try to come against it, but they cannot overcome it. And what he's saying is, Peter, when you learn to hear the Father, hell's going to try to beat you down but it will never be able to defeat you. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Which means when you go to the Father, you unlock things from heaven you never would have unlocked if you just try to find an earthly solution to your problems. And so, he began to tell his disciples, look, We've been walking together for three years. We've healed the sick. We've raised the dead. We've cleansed the leper. We've cast out demons. We've seen sickness healed in people's bodies. We've seen people that have been dead raised. We've, we've seen people that have been demonized and bound, set free. But I have to go and here's what the Father's telling me to do now. He began to describe what he's going to do. He began to say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to put me on a cross and they're going to crucify me. And, and then they're going to put me in a tomb and I'm going to be buried there. And I'll be dead for three days and I'll be raised again. And he's having this conversation directly after they have a revelation of who Jesus is. 
See, they saw who Jesus was as a healer. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. They saw him as a destroyer of death, but they didn't see him as the Messiah yet. And so he said, this is what's going to happen. Peter leaves the classroom and says, hey, I, I need to have a little private meeting after school. And he brings him to the side and he said, Jesus, you know who I am now, right? He said, yeah, you're Peter. He goes, no, I am Petros. <laughs> he's got, he's got Gus, I am Petros. And I will kill them if they try to hurt you. He starts saying, it's not going to happen on my watch. If they beat you, I'll beat them up. I am Petros. I have a sword. I will take off their ear. Right? So he said, they won't kill you. I'll, I'll, I'll protect you. They're not going to put you on a cross. They're not going to put you in a tomb. And Jesus looks at Simon, who he just called Peter, and he says this, get behind me. He says, get behind me, Satan. But then the statement he makes after this is very important. He said, because you have in mind the things of man not the things of God, which means I can, if I start thinking in an earthly way, it's not too far before I start thinking in a demonic way. If I start believing what man says about me, it's not too long until I start to believe what the devil says about me. See, Jesus came to show us how to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the leper. But in order to, for us to become who he was on the earth, he had to go and be beaten. Peter said, no, you can't be beaten. Peter, unless I become beaten, and by those stripes, I become, uh, people are healed, you can't become the healer that I demonstrated you could be. Pete, Jesus, you can't go to the cross and be pierced. You can't go and lose your blood. You can't go and give your blood. Peter, unless I give my blood, you can't be spiritually raised from the dead. Unless I give my blood, you can't be a new creation in Christ. Unless I give my blood, you can't become who I said you, you're called to be. Jesus, you can't go to the tomb. You can't go to hell, death in the grave. You can't go in there for three days. Peter, unless I go into the tomb and I get the keys of hell, death in the grave, I can't give you what I said I'm just going to give you, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You see, they wanted to see Jesus. They saw Jesus for who the Father said he was in that season. But in order for them to see themselves the way the Father see, saw them, they had to let Jesus become who he was be, going to become. And he said this, these words to Peter. Here's what he said. Get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus' response to what the disciples said other people were saying was nothing. Because I don't have to respond to what other people say about me. But when the accuser of the brethren comes and tries to tell me who he thinks I am, I can't be passive about that. Because if you tolerate a lie long enough, you'll start to believe a lie. And so the, you, have no, you have no obligation to let the devil off the hook. So when the devil tries to come to you and remind you of your past, which is what he was doing. Jesus, you can't go there because this is who you are. You can't be beaten for healing because you were a healer. You can't be crucified because you're the one who resurrects. You can't go to the tomb because you're the one who delivers people. No, I, that was who I was, but this is who I need to become so you can become who you're called to become. So Satan, get behind me. That's so much part of my past. Get behind me. Talk to the hand because that's not who I am. Because he would want to remind Joy well, you, every time she sang, well, remember when you were 12 years old. Every time she opened her mouth, what would happen to her mother? What would happen in her home? Every time she wanted to worship God, she equated it to something that brought death and destruction and pain. And what God gave her as a gift, the devil tried to use to defeat her. But when you say, when you tell a person who they really are, you're actually saying, get behind me, Satan. 
That's not who I am any longer. That's not what singing is for me in this season. Because singing is going to set the captive free. Singing is going to heal those that are in bondage. Singing is going to release the captive. And so what God does is he speaks to us who we are. And when he does, it tells us who we're not. Several, um, several years ago, as I was transitioning from, uh, from being a pastor and then traveling, I was traveling about 50% of the time and pastoring. And then I stepped into the fullness of what we're doing, which is just getting to go around and help to build the church in different places. I was, um, I was a pastor, and I struggled with, am I a pastor? Am I, am I an evangelist? You know, am I a prophet? I was learning about prophetic ministry. And I remember one morning, early in the morning, this is probably around... I think it was around the year 99 or 2000. I just remember because of where I was living, the apartment I was living in. I woke up early one morning and I heard this voice. And I heard the voice say, who do you think you are? Are you a pastor? Are you an evangelist? Are you a prophet? You don't even have a job description. And then I heard the voice. It was like an audible voice filled my room. You're a loser. Just like that. And I thought my wife was talking in her sleep for a second. <laughs> I looked over, she was sound asleep, so thank God it wasn't her this time. <laughs> so, you know, I, I knew this was, I knew this was uh, not my wife, and I knew this was the enemy. So I got up, and I went out to my living room. It was a small apartment we were living in. I didn't want to wake up my kids, so I, I hate to admit this, <laughs> but I had like a whisper shout argument with the devil. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. It's kind of the way if your wife... Are you in their car and you're having an argument, but the kids are in the back seat and you're kind of like, no, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, no, knock it off. No, you knock it off. You guys will never do that. Me neither. Just saying, just if I were going to have one, that's probably the way I would have them. So I, so I went out. I went out and I said to the devil, I'm not a loser. You're a loser. Like that. And, I was, and I'm having a whisper shout argument with the devil. And I'm sure it was pretty funny because the devil wasn't scared of it. In fact, I think he said, ooh, name-calling now, you know? Because it, it doesn't work on him. He's a liar, right? So he, he thinks if he can lie to you and you believe it, it, it disempowers you. But if you tell him, it, what, what empowers him is the truth, right? Or what disempowers him is the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. And so I, I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, what, what's going on? He said, you have to come against this lie. So now I grew up in a... In a you know, Christian tradition, a Pentecostal home. And so we knew about spiritual warfare. And for me, spiritual warfare was praying in the spirit. Because when you don't know how to pray, you pray in the spirit. And I believe in praying in the spirit because it's better to pray what you can't understand than pray what you shouldn't. <laughs> so sometimes you pray in English. It's better just to be quiet. Sometimes the best spiritual warfare is to say nothing, especially if you're going to say the wrong thing. But I began to pray in the spirit, and I, I just, I have these, like, I was just really going for it, a whisper shout argument in the tongues with the devil, right? And uh, I have these special, special spiritual prayer language that I use when I'm really in a bad warfare. It's like samurai tongues, like, ah, so, so I'm just really going for it. I'm just, I'm just praying really hard. I'm just praying really, really bad. I'm getting really anointed. And the reason I knew I was anointed, because every once in a while, like when I get in powerful prayer, I'd spit. Because you know when you're spitting, you're anointed. I'm just saying. Like, you know, if a preacher's really anointed, don't sit on the front row unless you want to get impartation, you know? So, so I'm just going for it. And, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm just praying in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just praying in the Spirit. He said, no, you're not. Just spitting and getting dehydrated. 
You see, praying in the Spirit's good, but praying by faith in the Spirit's better. Because when you, sometimes when we're praying in the Spirit, we're actually trying to find what God wants us to pray, which is okay, but prayer isn't really to help us find God. It's to pray what God wants us to pray. So finally, I just stopped and said, Lord, what are you saying right now? And here's what I heard well up inside me, a scripture I didn't even know had been planted inside of me from the time I was a kid. The reason that the Son of God was made manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. Immediately, I I realized, wait a second, my greatest title isn't that I'm a pastor or a prophet or evangelist, a businessman, a CEO, a president, or even that I'm a, a father of my children or a husband to my wife. My greatest title is that I'm a child of God. I'm the Son of God. Who are you? You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. When the Father revealed Jesus to the disciples, he didn't reveal him as a king. He didn't reveal him as a miracle worker. He didn't reveal him as a great teacher. He didn't reveal him as the answer to the Jewish faith's problem. He revealed him as my son. And the way he chose to reveal the Messiah was his own son, the son of the living God. And, the, and, and when it says in the Bible that the reason the son of God was revealed in the earth was to destroy the works of the devil. So I realized that my greatest job description wasn't to, to be a pastor or, or to be an evangelist and to lead thousands to the Lord or be a, be a pastor and build a big church. My greatest job description was to destroy the works of the devil. So here's what I found myself saying to, to the devil. And I don't, I don't agree that you should always have a conversation with the devil, but sometimes you have to speak to yourself and let the devil hear it. Devil, I'm not a, it doesn't matter if I'm a pastor or if I'm an evangelist or if I'm a prophet because I'm a son of God and God has revealed me to destroy your works. So my job description, my position is I'm a son of God and my job description is to make sure you're unemployed in the earth. How do you like that? And I think I heard the devil say, oh, I'm a loser. Because <laughs> he lost on the cross, didn't he? He lost to the one who knew who he was. He lost to the one who left heaven and came to earth and was still the son of God. He lost to the one who healed the sick, but yet took stripes on his back. He lost to the one who raised the dead, but yet submitted himself to the death on the cross. He lost to the one who broke the chains and set free a man with a legion of demons chained and naked, but allowed himself to be imprisoned in a tomb for three days, but came back with the keys of hell, death, and the grave. And I'm telling you, there's some times when life will beat you up and life will try to to beat you down. But if you know who you are, you won't give in to what the devil's doing to you. Life will try to crucify you and circumstances will try to destroy you. But if you know who you are, you realize is that whatever the devil does to you, it can't stop you. Because the Bible says that the, if the rulers of this age could have, would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. That means the devil actually stopped him from going to the cross because he knew when he went to the cross what would happen. He knew that when he took the stripes on his back, even though he thought he had him where he wanted, he finally got this healer in the place where he wanted where he could beat him down. The father was standing back and he was saying, if I were you, I wouldn't beat my son the way you're beating my son. Not because the father was going to come and stick up for him, but he knew by those stripes that everybody would be healed. And the Bible says if the devil would have known, he would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Which means if he could take back the whipping, he'd do it today. Too late. By his stripes, you've been healed. If he could take back the cross, 
he would take it back in a heartbeat. But he's 2,000 years too late. Because 2,000 years ago, when he thought he had Jesus exactly where he wanted him, he pierced his side, he put nails in his hands, his blood flowed out, he thought it was finished. God, The Son of God's words reverberated into eternity. It is finished. And by that blood, you were made a new creation in Christ. All the old things are passed away, and everything's become new. If he could take it back, he would. But too late, devil, I'm a new creation. Too late. His blood has made me righteous. His blood has made me clean. His blood has made me pure. His blood has made me holy. Too late. So you can't project on me what I'm not because Jesus already projected on me who he was. He became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the devil wants to project on you who he is. He wants to recreate you in his image and likeness because he's a loser. He was rejected out of heaven. He was the one who fell out of favor with the Father. He was the one who didn't fulfill his destiny. And he wants to project that rejection on you. He wants to project that works on you, that religion on you. He wants to recreate you in his image and his likeness. But if you don't let him project on you who he is, God will project on you who he is. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because that's who Jesus was. If the devil could take back the tomb, he would do it in a heartbeat. He would take it back. He would take, and he wouldn't lose the keys of hell, death, and the grave. But it's too late for that because Jesus has already given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, I I believe that one thought from God can change eternity. Here he was teaching his disciples not how to get to the answer to the question, who do you think that I am? He was teaching them, look, when life comes at you, there's three places that you can allow shape your thinking. One is what other people think. Who do other people say? The other is what does the devil say? What do circumstances say? But the best place that you need to allow shape your thinking is what does the Father say about this? See, the most important question in your life isn't what's going on right now. But what does the Father say about what's going on right now? Not what's going on with the economy right now, but what does the Father say about what he wants to do for me when the economy's like this? Not who's going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Thank God that the political party in heaven never changes. Thank God that, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank God that my future is not dependent on who's in charge. My, my future is dependent on the fact that I know who I am. And when I know who I am, yes, circumstances of life may change. But on this rock, I'll build my church. So God wants to give you an understanding, a revelation for your life that the gates of hell will not be able to overcome. You won't be able to overcome your marriage. You won't be able to overcome your financial situation. You won't be able to overcome even what goes on in your health and your awareness of your body. You won't be able to overcome with the lie of the enemy. He won't be able to overcome it. Doesn't mean he won't come against it. it. Means he can't overcome it. God wants to give you an unshakable faith. I went I went to my office that next morning. My senior pastor called me and he said, Hey Bob, I need to have a meeting with you. Last night we had a board meeting. Some of the leaders got together and, and they realized that we don't have a job description for you. They don't know if you're a pastor or if you're an evangelist. And 
travel around 50% of the time. You're in the church 50% of the time. So I need to write a job description for you. Can we work out a job description? And I said, sure, let me go to my office. I'll write one. I went to my office, wrote job description, destroy the works of the devil, position, son of God. I brought it back to his office just a few seconds later. Here, I just wrote my job description. He looked at it, title, son of God. <laughs> job description, destroy the works of the devil. He said, what's this? I said, oh, it just came from my quiet time today. But what happened was because I had a conversation with God, he and I could have an hour conversation. And we developed a job description that worked for the church. That I understood who I was, that I could be who I was for the church. And, you know, some of us go through situations in life where, where things change. Maybe we've had faith and we've prayed for other people and we've seen their marriages healed and then we find our relationships in a struggle period. Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Or is he changed dependent on our circumstances? Maybe we've been through situations where we've been able to bless people that have been in need, but our job situation has changed and now we're the one who doesn't have. Is he still a provider even if our job situation changes? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, and I, be, I believe that sometimes we go through situations where God wants to refine our understanding of who we are. And whenever I understand that God started releasing me to places I'd never been before outside of the church, just about a year or so after that, I was preaching in a, in a setting like this, and a lady came up to me, and she said to me, I've never felt the spirit the way I felt the spirit in this in this place tonight, would you come to my church and teach? And I was eager to do it because I needed meetings. And so I set up a meeting for about four months down the road. My wife did our scheduling at the time. She wrote it down for me. She gave me the piece of paper. I found it a week later. And the name of this church was very strange. So I Googled it. And I found out that I had just booked myself to speak at a new age church. I didn't know there was such a thing. It was a, an interfaith church. And I, I thought, oh, no, this is not good. Jesus, what should I do? And I just heard the Lord speak to me so clearly. He said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to go. <laughs> I thought, I can't let Jesus go alone. I mean, he could get hurt there. <laughs> you know, he doesn't know what it's like in, in 2001, 2002. So uh, I went to this, this church, and would you believe it? Jesus showed up. He healed people. I told him who, Jesus, who I believe Jesus was. He's the Son of God. He died. He went back to the Father alive, and he wants to come into your life. Make the old things new, the dead things alive, heal your bodies. And uh, there's one lady, she got healed of severe nerve damage in her lower back. And uh, she got healed, jumped right out of her seat, came to the front. She's running back and forth. The people are clapping. The leaders get out of their seats in, in this New Age church. They come to the front, and they, they're looking at me. They said, we don't believe Jesus is who you say he is. I'm looking at the lady running around. I'm like, what, what's it going to take to believe? They said, but we had somebody come in with crystals two weeks ago just to pray for this lady. A crystal healer, which I didn't even know there was such a crystal healer. Maybe the healer named Crystal. I don't know. She carried crystals. Or what is a crystal healer? They take the good china and go, put water in there. And they, I don't know. I, I just didn't know. So apparently they would, they would wave the crystals and nothing happened. Apparently the crystals didn't work. And so maybe they needed new crystals. I don't know. They said last week we brought in an energy healer just for her and nothing happened. But you prayed in Jesus' name and she's completely healed. Can you please come back and teach us how to do that? And I said, Jesus. He said, yes. <laughs> so my wife and I, we went back to this church five times in one year. And 25 people gave their life to Jesus Christ in that new age church. Isn't that awesome? See, what I was finding out is Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. 
He's the same in my church where people believe. He's the same out there where people don't believe. He loves to show people who he is. He loves to reveal the Father to people. And if you know who you are, he'll reveal himself through you to people. And so I was telling this, this short story at a pastor's conference uh, in the U.S. and the pastor from out in West, he said, we have a large conference every year that has a lot of new age things. They have 10,000 people that come to this conference. They have healers. And it changes the atmosphere in our city. It just gets kind of dark. He said, maybe you can come in the month of May when they have their conference and you could have a conference at our church and we kind of balance, you know, balance things out. And I said, oh, that's kind of a cool idea, but why don't we do this? Instead of the, the devil having a party over here and us having a party here, let's take our party and crash the devil's party. He said, what do you mean? I said, let's go to their conference. He said, can you do it? I said, I have no idea. So I, I found out the name of the conference. I emailed the director and I said, I see that you have a, a spaces for 100 healers at your conference. Can I come and be a healer at your conference? I thought it would take a few weeks to respond. Literally five or ten minutes later, I get an email. What kind of healing do you practice? And I didn't know what to write to her, so I wrote to her, I practice an ancient Hebrew healing. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and I have a team of people who want to come with me, and here's, we've seen God heal blind eyes and open deaf ears. She wrote back to me immediately and said, please come, we really need you. And I wrote back and said, more than you know. <laughs> didn't say that. So we went. We really didn't know what we were doing. We just, we set up. And on one side of us, there was an angel healer. On this side of us, there was a tarot card reader. There was mediums. There was psychics. And we we're just here Christians. And literally just, a, we, the first person that came in gave their life to Jesus. We had people got healed. And we were just doing really great for about the first hour. Then this lady walks up to me. And she looks at me, and here's what she said. She said, who are you people? Just like that, kind of, I don't know if she had smoked a lot that day or whatever. She had talked like that. <laughs> who are you people? And I said, we're just believers in Jesus. We're just praying for the sick. Can we pray for you? She said, no, I don't need prayer. I said, well, who are you? And here's what she said. I'm a medium. Like that. And she tried to scare me. But it was funny because she was trying to scare me with the word medium. So I reached out my hand and said, nice to meet you. I'm an extra large. <laughs> it's true, right? It's a true story. Can't make it up. <laughs> so I said, if you need prayer later, let me know. She goes, I'll let you know. And she walked away. And I'm like, to the team, I'm like, that was really weird. They're like, yeah. So, so we're doing great. And then an hour later, it gets, gets really foggy in there. It was like, you know, just getting, it just felt like the air got thick. Like we're running through molasses, you know. Stuff went on, and, and I knew there was a spiritual change in the atmosphere. And so I said to the team, something's going on. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go out, and I'm going to pray. Now, you got to understand, I've never done this before. Uh, I was a pastor, you know, this, this evangelist, revivalist, traveling guy. Now I'm a new age. What, what am I? What am I doing? And so I'm not sure I'm in the right place at the right time. I don't know if I made a mistake here. I go out. The only place I could go to find, you know, a little bit of openness in the atmosphere is a parking lot. So I'm just walking around the parking lot again talking to the Lord. And I, and I said, Lord, what's going on here? Are we in the wrong place? He goes, no, you're in exactly the right place. He goes, it's just that somebody put a curse on you. It's no problem. That's what he said. It's no problem. Somebody put a curse on you. That doesn't make sense, Lord. You said somebody put a curse on me. He goes, yeah. So I, I'm like, well, I'm going to break this curse. So I start, I wasn't going ready for the spiritual warfare. I was looking for my shofar. I didn't have it with me. And I had a small vial of oil. I knew I was going to need like 50-gallon drum for this. It was going to take a lot of oil. 
If I'd have had a shofar, I'd have been blowing it, a flag, I'd been waving it, I'd have been anointing all the cars with oil, but I didn't have any of that. And um, so I said, God, I break this curse, I break this curse, I break this curse, I break this curse, I break this curse. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm breaking the curse. He goes, no, you're not. You're just speaking gibberish. I can't even understand you. He said, you can't be cursed, you're blessed. See, what's that? What, what sets you free? Truth sets you free. If it takes a shofar to get you to believe the truth, by all means, blow the shofar. Blow your brains out. Because <laughs> some of you need to blow your brains out so you can believe the truth about yourself, okay? Like, you, like if you need to put oil, like anoint everything you can possibly anoint. I believe in anointing people with oil. I believe it's biblical. But it's not the oil. It's the prayer of faith. Right? It's believing what God says. So by all means, do all that. You know, rub a little salt on it. Spray a little Windex. I don't know what it's... <laughs> My big fat Greek wedding is a good one. So, so, so I, I said to the Lord, I, how do we break this thing? And he didn't speak to me, but all I heard in my mind was this little childhood kind of poem we would say. I grew up in a family with uh, a bunch of kids and, you know, if you'd say names to each other, we'd have this saying in America, but you call me a name, if I call you a name, you'll say to me, well, I'm rubber and you're glue. And what you say bounces off me, sticks to you. So, like, if you call me a name, it's going to bounce off me. It's going to stick to you. So, I can't, I'm not telling you this is a form of spiritual warfare. I'm just saying it's what happened. I said, devil, I'm rubber and you're glue. You curse me, but what you say bounces off me and sticks to you. And then I said, in Jesus' name, amen, because it has to be a legal prayer. <laughs> and I crossed myself just in case and bowed down and... And so <laughs> I wanted to cover all the bases. And, you know, I felt truth come because, you know, when truth is spoken, it just it opens the atmosphere. It's true. Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Well, some people say you're John the Baptist. That didn't clear the air. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Boom. Light bulb just went on. Right. You know, when truth comes, because the light bulb goes on, the air clears. Wow, that's true. And so it felt so good. I said it again, because if it works once, it must work twice. Uh, devil. I'm rubber. You're glue. What you say bounces off me, sticks to you. I want to get a little Pentecostal, you know, a little T.D. Jakes. I'm rubber. <laughs> well, that saves you a whole lot of time in prayer. I'm devil. Just believing the truth is a lot better than wearing yourself out. I believe in prayer. I believe in fasting. I believe, but I believe in doing it in faith. Right? And so I got so annoyed. I just, I'm a rubber. Talk to the rubber hand. <laughs> and so after about 15 minutes of this, I'm just having fun because the truth comes, it sets you free. And so I went back in and the team's doing great. They're like, what did you do out there? And I didn't have the heart to tell them <laughs> what I was doing. So I said, I had an out of the body experience. I went into the third heavens and there were angels with flaming swords. And they gave me the sword, and they, no, they didn't, I didn't tell them that. I said, I just prayed. I said, whatever you did, it worked. Well, so now things are going better. An hour later, little Miss Medium comes. True story. I've been looking for you. I said, oh, I've been here. Well, I was, took a walk out for a little while in the parking lot, but I, I'm here now. What can I do for you? You said you'd pray for me. She said, I need prayer. She's, for the last hour, my shoulder has been frozen in place. I can't move it, and it's extreme pain. And I looked at her and said, oh, 
I know what the problem is. She said, what? I said, your glue. <laughs> She's the one who cursed us. But God's about to turn it into a blessing. We pray for her. Her shoulder gets healed. The Lord shows me a dream that she had the night before. It was a dark dream. I said, you're going to have a, a dream tonight. That's going to be amazing. I told her what the dream was. The next day she shows up. First person at our booth. That dream happened. You're clairvoyant. I said, what's that? You see clearly. I said, yes, I see clearly. <laughs> we had at least a dozen people come over that day and say, that medium over there told us to come over here because you guys had the real power. What does that mean? When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with, with him. That means she was never my enemy. She was my friend. She just didn't know it. She just never had met anybody who knew who they were because they knew who Christ was. And she wanted to define herself by a gift she thought she had or a title she had. But we were just being who we were because we were sons and daughters of God. And sometimes life wants to throw stuff at you from your past. And you just got to say, talk to the hand. Sometimes the circumstances of your life look like you're cursed, but you just have to say, I'm rubber. <laughs> your glue, what you say bounces off me, sticks to you. And if you remember nothing else, that's probably what you'll remember. <laughs> if you go to work tomorrow, someone wants to start pushing that button. You say, hey, that's the, that, rub, that button's rubber. You can't push this button anymore. <laughs> so the economy changes, but I'm still blessed. I get a bad diagnosis. I'm still blessed. Because I'm blessed, I can't be cursed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet with me. Father, in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Father, I thank you all, all over this place in this region. I thank you that these churches, this, this, this region is going to be a, a region that's known for the truth of God. I thank you, Father, for the message of identity. I thank you for the message of righteousness. I thank you for the message of truth. And God, I thank you that you're raising up a church that is not defined by its uh, social economic conditions. It's not defined by its circumstances. But I thank you for a church that is built on the revelation of the Father. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not come against it, will not overcome it. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. God, I thank you right now there's keys of revelation being released in this place, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you've been dealing with anything in your life that's tried to limit you and your understanding of who you are, maybe the circumstances of your past like joy. Maybe Jesus, who they couldn't understand because he was going to do something that's never been done before. Or maybe it's just that people in your life who want to view you from a worldly point of view. If that's you and you say, I want a revelation from the Father tonight, just lift up your hands. Father, we ask you to come right now in Jesus' name. God, we ask you right now to break off the limits, God, of our thinking in Jesus' name, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. I feel like God wants to heal um, things in the digestive system tonight. If you're here and you have problems in any area of your, your digestive system, just lift a hand. I feel like the Lord wants to heal some people tonight. If you see someone around you, place your hand on them right now. We're going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we thank you right now that stress leaves in Jesus' name, that stress leaves their body in Jesus' name. 
We thank you for healing right now in this place, God, in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you right now. Release the healing power of God in bodies in Jesus' name. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. All over this place, let your healing come. What we're going to do right now, we're going to sing the, uh, the second to the last song that we sang. It just declares the Father, who the Father is. And I believe tonight the Father's going to speak to you. There's some things that the Lord wants to release tonight to you. He wants to release to you who He is. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You have another Father before you can know who you are. In fact, right now in this place, every eye closed, every hand bowed before we sing this song. If you're here tonight, you've been struggling with your spiritual identity. If you're here, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've just had a moment of time when you had a lapse of judgment, a lapse of identity, and you kind of stepped away from God. Tonight is a moment where the Father is speaking to you directly who you are. Maybe you blew it in a relationship. You blew it in an assignment. You blew it. You messed up. It's because you sin doesn't make you a sinner. He called you to be a son a daughter of God. And tonight is a moment where you come back into agreement with what he says about you, with what the truth says about you. And if you're here and you need to get your life, your life right with Jesus in any way, which means you need to come and say, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. I've been, I've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And if it's for the first time or you need to do it again tonight, make a reconfession. If that's you, just while every eye is closed, every head is bowed, if you need to make a confession tonight of who you are, who God, who God created you to be, and you want to give your life to Jesus or come back to Jesus, I want you to lift your hand up right where you're at, okay? All over this place. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, God. All right, there's about six or seven people that raise their hand. We're going to pray together. I want you to pray out loud with me, those who raise your hand. And those of you who are standing with us, we're going to make this confession together. Let's pray it out loud together. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking a beating. Thank you for going to the tomb. Thank you for coming back to life. You have taken all the old things and made them new. You've taken all that was dead and made it alive. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I am the righteousness of God. I'm holy. I'm blameless. I'm called by you. I am a child of God. And I'm here to destroy the works of the devil. Let's do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a shout tonight.
say put your hand on your heart, but put your hand on your head. Father, I just declare right now that our thinking is being aligned to what you say about us, God. Our thinking is being aligned to what you've always known about us. And God, I thank you that we're going to be able to see you more clearly, to see the Father more clearly. We're going to be more able to see and know the difference between what is a lie of our circumstances, is a lie of the accuser, and that just come directly from the Father's heart. God, I declare right now all over this place that anxiety disorders are being broken. I declare right now bipolar disorders being broken. I declare right now fear and anxiety is going, depression is going. In Jesus' name, God, God, I thank you that the peace of God that passes understanding is guarding hearts and it's guarding minds in Christ Jesus. I declare that peace of God, that same peace that crushes Satan under our feet, that same peace that's a that's a powerful peace, that same peace that brings the government of God, the kingdom of God, and his government is peace, there'll be no end. That kind of peace is coming over this region. We declare there's going to be peace between cultures, there's going to be peace between generations, there's going to be peace between political separations, there's going to be peace in churches, God. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you. The God of peace crushes Satan under our feet. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to take your seats, but before you do, I want you just to turn to two people, give them a high five, say you're a devil crusher. You're a devil crusher. You guys can keep playing for me.